Hey, Robin. Hi. What's up? Oh, we're just doing a podcast. About The Bachelor. And Critical Theory. Cool. So today we're going to be talking about Critical Race Theory, um, which is a lot of fun to talk about when you're watching The Bachelor. I guess I'll like give like a brief overview of what critical race theory is because it's a big body of theory, if that sounds good. Sure. And also just a caveat that, I mean, I think this is with every episode, but specifically critical race theory is so huge that we're only going to touch on, um, just focus on a couple areas. Um, But knowing that there is not only such a large body of work out there, but for me, there's still, I'm still learning about this as well. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, So like the cheat sheet, I guess, of critical race theory, if you don't have access to the Wikipedia page of critical (laughs) race theory, um, is that critical race theory is developed by legal scholars, but it's a body of theory, like you said, that is today really big and very diverse and is used by not just legal scholars, but also social scientists, humanities people. um, And it's looking at culture institutions as related to the intersection of um, race, law and power. Um, I think that we all know and love Kimberly Crenshaw. She's one of the sort of like founding um, mothers of critical race theory. Um, her piece, Mapping the Margins, um, in the Stanford Law Review is really good. Um, if you're interested in kind of like the Cliff Notes version of intersectionality. Um, and you can find that easily. You could just Google it. Yeah, it's, it's just like a PDF. Um, but critical race theory has two sort of like aims or points of view that um, are sort of like the foundational things. And one is that white supremacy and racial power are maintained over time and that legal systems structure this. Um, and that critical race theory examines how through legal interventions like affirmative action or something, racism and racial inequalities can be addressed. Um, but of course, we're into like cultural theory. So we're not legal scholars, but this is we're kind not. of the, the mm-hmm. foundation of critical race theory and its relationship to law. Specifically, I mean, we're talking about cultural theory and we're looking at right. a media text. So we're really looking at depictions and representation um, of that. And I think um, I'm going to get real topical. I think yeah. something recently in the news has happened that I think is a really good example of how to apply critical race theory. Um, so right now we are in kind of the the deep conversations about the video um, from the March for Life rally of the um, students from the Catholic high school, um, specifically one student who was mocking a Native American man whose name was Nathan Phillips um, during a demonstration. So I think... I think what's really interesting is that we have the first video, there's a lot of conversation about it, and then it comes out, oh, there are other videos, this will give you a new look, the story is not what you think. So we have a lot of news media organizations kind of deconstructing this video, a lot of timelines and sort of forensic investigation of it, and there's a lot of talk about, well, actually, before this boy was mocking this Native American man, these other of people were mocking them, and then the then Nathan and Phillips walked into the crowd and what happened what and I think that is all interesting but the reality is we're not talking about a sequence of events 
the reality is that there is an imbalance of power between the young men and the Native American and that can't be ignored and I think regardless of who talked to who first regardless and I actually I mean like that doesn't that doesn't even matter to me regardless there is a power dynamic so I think that really um, is a good showing of critical race theory that it's not ultimately on the surface and court sort of the quote-unquote facts and we can we can say history even is looked at as a series of events but there's actually more to it as far as who has the power who has the privilege what sort of ways can we look at that um even through media even a film that for somebody doesn't have meaning somebody um can do a different reading of it seeing race differently a film that maybe um on the surface appears to be post-racial meaning that race quote-unquote doesn't matter somebody a person of color seeing it can have a really different read on it um and it's not about fact finding it's about experiences and just thinking about that so critical race theory I was gonna say I like critical race theory like it's not about (laughs) what I like but something that engages me is that there's just so many ways you can look at it and we're not looking for answers we're not looking for a formula there is no one answer but it's a constant questioning of how the dynamics play out and we know dynamics change across time so I just think it's a really interesting discussion to be had how people want to reconstruct like historical events yeah, I think that like that notion of like power and context is mm-hmm. like really like crucial when we're thinking about concepts like intersectionality that mm-hmm. come from critical race theory. And so looking at media texts through this lens of of racial relations and of power imbalances can lend a very like different radical and revolutionary reading to different texts. So mm-hmm. um the theorist, I guess, that we're focusing on today, sort of moving away from a legalistic kind mm-hmm. of historical sequential looking at critical race theory is Bell Hooks um, and her piece, Eating the Other, Desire and Resistance, that I think, especially for this episode, definitely helps us work through some of the ways in which, in reality, television specifically, relations are sort of like constructed and um, contested. So when you talk about eat, what does she mean by eating the other? Does she mean literally? Um, that is a good question. Um, she does get into, I guess I'll give like a sort of like a brief rundown of some of the concepts that she discusses. She does mean literally eating as in not necessarily eating someone in like a cannibalistic way, but like eating the other as in, um, eating food from other cultures, for example. So in this piece, Bell Hooks um, makes the point that like mass culture and like popular culture is where we engage in the politics of pleasure and of racial difference. And that in this era of capitalistic consumption, we consume this racial other um, and we sample these like exotic racial pleasures, whether that's through like interracial sexual contact or through white people going and like, eating like sushi and that this is exotic and this is transgressive in some way um and so she's really pointing towards like the um, ethos of consumption in her piece which i find really interesting when we're talking about the bachelor because we are actually talking about like sexual contact but we are Mm -hmm. also talking about consumption and the production of images so yeah yeah, I also wanted to mention, speaking of images, Patricia Hill Collins in Black Feminist Thought. She has a really, um, that whole book is great, but she has a really impactful chapter called Mammies, Matriarchs, and Other Controlling Images, where she traces the, not the source, but sort of the inspiration for a lot of the stereotypes that come from pop culture, that come from slavery and early cartoons and, um, I mean, bigotry that runs through today. 
and um, talk about how women of color are highly sexualized. Their sexuality is for the taking. Um, the they are these images control black women and control how they're seen, and they're put into a category. Um, and she also the other uh, controlling images that she mentions is the Jezebel. You see a lot. You we have seen a lot um, in, for example, rap music videos. Um, not so much anymore, but I think during the eighties and nineties, um, it was very popular to have that Jezebel image in a rap video and women and black women's bodies as commodities for rappers. So, um, and also there's another scholar called named Trisha Rose, who, if you're interested in that is great. And I'll, I'll link, um, some of her work. And I was lucky enough to read that in one of my seminars about music. So we're looking at these images of women that we think are really outdated, but they really stay with us. And I, and when women, um, especially on reality shows, when women of color on reality shows, these images are still controlling them because if you know there are things that they say will be will categorize them as that and they're all they're quote unquote not allowed to be anything else um other than those images like the the um than the white women are and actually Emily um pulled some articles um I'll give her credit for this that um were really interesting so um Rachel Dubrovsky um has done a lot of work in um reality shows and race and it's interesting the ones that I read were from 2008 which is not that long ago but it feels the, a lifetime it feels like a lifetime because yeah. the the bachelor she was talking about like was I had to really I mean she was back to like the Andrew Firestone days and like the Byron <laughs> days of reality shows and she also wrote a lot about flavor of love which was a spin you all probably know what flavor of love is maybe I was like you, a tequila tequila that was my oh, first okay. like well that's Fourier. interesting because that is yeah. another sort of spin-off like taking mm-hmm. it kind of creates this the bachelor is the white template mm-hmm. and everything else is othered yeah so the standard is kind of this white notion of the bachelor um and what she, the thing that really struck me that she talked about authenticity and um, the women, so Flavor of Love, which had a more, I can't say if, I don't want to say myself it's as damaging or not, but I've had conversations with people about, I've asked them like, do you think this is good representation or do you think it's damaging? And it's a little bit of both. But the women um, who were being authentic, their behavior was policed as being too, quote unquote, ghetto, um, too wild, too spicy, too angry, Whereas on The Bachelor, the white women are um, awarded for their authenticity. In fact, the more authentic you are, the more that you kind of fumble in front of the camera and the more camera time you get. And we'll get into it. But that's especially true with this um, pageant queen versus pageant queen nonsense that they're building up. So um, she writes some really interesting things about that. And I encourage you to read it and just about what does being authentic mean and how are the women presented? Yeah. And going off of that, I want to like note that like this is like a longer conversation, like to like looking at reality television shows that we see these um, like damaging sort of like stereotypes and representations are connected to this white desire to like control and police the other like attached to colonialism imperialism like orientalism and so now like talking about the bachelor it it can be harder I think to identify the ways in which like these racial logics operate because they appear to be more subtle maybe than when we're talking about um 
I don't know, like media from like the 1950s or something. Mm -hmm. But they're definitely, if you apply the lens of critical race theory, I think to The Bachelor, you really see that that is still there and that's still kind of like a defining ethos of the show. Um, But yeah. Yeah, it just in different ways too. Like you're talking about 2008. Since then, we've had, um, we've had Rachel, um, the Black Bachelorette. We probably have had more women of color on the show. Um, I don't have stats in front of me, but it, it is possible. And that brings up another point between with critical race theory, um, between representation and depictions. And I believe I'm saying this off to have but Michael Omni has written a lot, of, a lot about representation on television and in media. So what that means is you can have representation is more about numbers. You know, how many black characters are there, are there on screen? How many Asian characters are on screen? And counting them and, you know, possibly saying, okay, well, we've had a, you know, 50% increase in the amount of characters, which representation is definitely important, but critical race theory would look at that and say, okay, there is representation, but how are they being represented? And are people of color in media allowed to represent the range of emotions and lives, just the things that that white characters are able to do? And I remember when Rachel was the bachelorette, there was some really good conversations about how, you know, people of color often don't get to have this love fairy tale. The The way that love is shown between people of color is not like white people. And it's more, um, you know, it's more fraught with other things that are in that are based on those controlling images. So as much as people think reality TV doesn't matter, it actually does matter because you want representation everywhere. You want depiction everywhere. And um, and actually in reality television versus scripted television, the the just the representation of people of color of color far outnumbers scripted television. But what is that? You know that you could say that's a good thing, but critical race theory would be critical of that and be like, well, how are they being represented? Are they being like in a harem on uh, Flavor Flav's harem, which Dubrovsky actually calls um, a lot of these television shows. And I think I think I interrupted you to go on that, but go ahead. Oh no, I think like you made a really good point, like looking at like these like representation and numbers. I think now, and this is a point that Bell Hooks like makes in the article, is that you know you can look at this like greater representation perhaps numerically and say that oh this is great, The Bachelor is becoming more diverse and that we have more we have more images of women of color there, mm-hmm. but that this and bell hooks like notes that like this open desire of whites for contact with the other and you know she frames it like as the other capital o um is demonstrated as this like wokeness or cultural pluralism in action and that this is positive but that that is not actually true and there's a disengagement with those racial logics of power and those relationships and that contact is always um it's always initiated or always framed like from a white perspective and from the this white place so that it is absolutely critical or it's critical to be really critical of these relationships um and of these representations because just because we can see more people on screen doesn't mean that these racial logics are not operating again that reminds me of like when you have conversations about 
um, gentrification and the old neighborhood I would live in, people would say they want to move. White people would say I want they want to move there because it's diverse and a lot of culture, whereas that's framing it as if that diversity exists for their consumption. Right. That it is that there's no inner life or progress or thoughts about from that group. They just exist to sort of pepper their lives um, with this, like some sort of um, deranged um, world showcase in Epcot Center. You literally like have like, you reminded me of like this bell hooks quote that she Mm -hmm. says in the piece. She says that quote within commodity culture, ethnicity becomes spice seasoning that can liven up the dull dish that is mainstream white culture End Mm -hmm. quote. And so I think that that really like gets to what you're saying that this, this is like this empty multiculturalism um, within like the politics of capitalistic consumption and that simply expressing the desire for diversity or in the case of The Bachelor, like sexual desire, like mm-hmm. cold and sexual desire for a black woman is treated as enough, that that's enough to, you know, to be woke and to like end this history of, of violence, domination, exploitation and inequality that is still happening um, mm-hmm. and that we really need to we need context we need to connect what's happening in this episode to these longer histories so yeah does that does that cover it that's it that's all (laughs) critical race theory is we're done you know everything yeah I also want to say that I mean we're talking and I I just want to recognize like I'm I'm talking a lot about women of color and I'm saying black women a lot there's still I think there's still a major gap in literature about um you know, not just black women, but native women, mm-hmm. and especially depiction of Native Americans in television shows. And I was actually talking to somebody who's doing research on this. She said, well, it's actually easy because right now there's only three television shows that actually have that. And those depictions are not, you know, have problems and have and need criticism. So there's a gap in literature. Um, there's a gap in my knowledge that, um, you know, as I hope to continue studying media texts that um, I can, you know, find some readings in that. So as always, we're open to any suggestions of readings and whatnot. And like we said, we're not going to, we wanted to introduce the topic as we have thinking about it. So uh, now we're going to move on to, I think, um, applying this to this episode of The Bachelor, which I have to say, this is like peak Bachelor time for me. Like it's shenanigans and crazy editing and really stupid group dates. Um, So it's just really, this is the fun part. But I also am just so tired. Like this episode (laughs) also made me tired of all the nonsense that they are trying to create. And you can see the editors and like storylines just trying really hard to make something that it's not. So how did you feel about this episode overall? Um, well, I recently, like, I guess my Hulu got downgraded because I, like, switched to the Spotify Hulu or whatever. Uh-huh. And so now I have to deal with commercials. So Oy. it felt literally like like an eternity that I was watching this episode. So that was not fun. Especially when you see the same commercial with the camel on oh, hump day. Did I you... didn't see that. Oh, maybe it's targeted commercials. It definitely is. I think that 
my whatever ad analytics think that I'm like a mom, like a middle mom, because I got like pain and then Disney <laughs> commercials and then Olive Garden. So I was, wow. I was like, I think I need to call someone and tell them that I'm wow, like, that's insulting. I'm like a cool former Brooklynite. Like, yeah. I have a reusable straw. Like they obviously don't know that. They think I want Geico commercials. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> this, we start off with a pirate ship. Right. That was a lot. It was was a lot. And just cringe city USA. Definitely. I thought that this was a great, um, fun example of sanitized imperialist nostalgia. Oh, um, yeah. Of Colton getting to play the captain of a pirate ship. And yeah, just everyone getting to like run around and go back in time and not engage with the fact that like America is like a settler colonial nation that is still occupying i made a note to myself when i was watching that i said go do some wikipedia research on pirates Mm. uh but i never did so i'm just admitting my shortcomings um but there's something that made me almost like run out of my house screaming was that they said something about the pirates you get to find the greatest treasure which is love again Focusing, I mean, we're back to like heteronormativity and this, you know, pairing as success in the world, which I know I've experienced as like a failure of mine to, you know, be married. You're you're a child, so you know, yeah, you, you don't have to think about that. I'm a that toddler. Yet. Actually. Yeah, you're a toddler. I also wrote the pirate trainer is brawny and hot. Oh, so I just wanted to note that he is. Um, he had some interesting makeup. Definitely, yeah, yeah, um, which I don't. I don't think relates per se to critical race theory, but I thought about that a lot. So. I think that Johnny Depp has rewritten history that pirates now wear masca- uh, eyeliner and yeah. mascara. So that's become Definitely. part of pirate lore. Yeah. I don't think other than like the fact that the state was like an exercise in imperialist nostalgia, um, nothing like stood out terribly. Oh, uh, for me, it plays into my ongoing theory that the bachelor is is like white supremacy eugenics yeah. and the he's always testing the women for feats of strength mm. um and competing for him to weed out you know he chooses who he goes on a date with about who did like quote unquote the best job and who can like climb a ladder and do a really awkward pulley so yeah. again just co- sort of that fighting over and he's you know, using this to see who the strongest genes are for him. Yeah. I thought that Hannah didn't know what an eye patch was because she was wearing it. <laughs> but I understand why she didn't put it on. Yeah. She, um, I'll save my comments for Hannah okay. at a later time because I have a lot to say. Um, do you want to say anything about Demi in this or do you want to hold on Demi? I'll hold on Demi too. Okay. Um, for me, I was like more like watching this like with the lens of critical race theory. I was really trying to pay attention to like how how are like women of color treated by Colton and like are there visual differences in in like because this is produced obviously. Yeah. So like you, this isn't unfiltered. So really looking um, to see it's interesting to see because I do think that this demonstrates like Bell Hooks's point that like 
this notion of like, oh, open desire of white Colton for Katie, for example, is that it that's woke and that's great. And that his relationship with Katie is the same as his relationship with Hannah. And it's not. And obviously the bachelor's not going to get into like racial politics. But he did say during their time that our time together is effortless. And I think that that's really interesting <laughs> because okay, maybe like it does feel effortless into in, like an interpersonal way, but it's obviously not because there is that like power dynamic and there's those histories and that The Bachelor isn't going to show that and engage with that, but that, I don't know. That's interesting because do you think he would have said that to a white woman? Like is mm. he kind of convincing himself right. that, oh, because we're different races, I thought this would be hard. Right. What else? Did, he also said, I noticed to, um, I think it was Tasha. Yeah, like, you know, talking about strong women, because that was definitely sort of like the theme of the episode. Oh, his like, I like strong. I love strong and, women. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, you know, I do need to be called out. And I'm like, well, why didn't you say that to any of like these the other women. like, like, yeah, like Demi or like Caitlin or anyone else. And so I think that's another example of expecting women of color to do emotional labor for him. Why isn't he interrogating himself? Why isn't he critical of, I mean, I don't know what, well, I think we know why. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But like, I don't know. That's very apparent that this is this type of uncritical contact and uncritical consumption, um, you know, of, of the other that hooks is talking about. Do you think there could be an underlying, um, maybe not explicit of, you know, this is a competition for a man and the fact that it's a white man is um, kind of as the ultimate prize. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but I think that that is a good, I think that that's like right on the money because I don't think Colton is especially, I'm trying to think of his qualifications as like a, as just a person. (laughs) He's a virgin. Have you heard? Um, I did. Oh, I forgot. Well, I think that shows, I mean, that comes through with privilege, right? Like he doesn't need to be anything. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need to have a personality. He is the base of which everything else is compared to. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, I'm sure he worked very hard at football, (laughs) though he wasn't drafted or he was drafted for like a hot second. Um, You know, and I'm sure that he's a hard worker, but I don't think that is what got him where he was. So kind of as this prize to own him, you kind of take on his privilege of effortless success. Yeah. I mean, he's now has success being just by basically being on this show, which believe me, it's work to do. You know, they do work, but kind of there's this instant fame that he will now have kind of for the rest of his life as part of this bachelor family. Yeah. That more white people have than black people have. Yeah. Or other people. Again, just checking myself, not just black people. Yeah. What did you think about um, the date with Elise or anything? (laughs) (laughs) First of all, if I went on a date and then he said, we're going to hang out with a bunch of children, I would have... You'd scream. Burn the burn the place down. I mean, no, without the children. I get the children on first. I think it was really contrived. Uh, I think that, I don't know, I just think that shows that Colton and Elise themselves can't drum up the type, type of drama that television wants. So they always have to add an element. And it was a lot about Colton has a charity mm-hmm. for quote-unquote special needs kids. So maybe... Again, they were trying to show his personality or his goodness or his wokeness. His woke, yeah. Rather. I thought that was, I don't know. I mean, and that's that's obviously like great, but I think 
I have problems like the ethics of like having children like Jesus. on these shows yeah. are like really fraught but I think it it wasn't clear but like were these children from like hospitals that he was talking about like it was unclear to me the where I mean I, I don't know is it an open casting call like were these actually children that he has helped or like are affiliated with this charity? I don't think that he knew them yeah I think I think some of the children did have needs um, like for extra care, um, some of them, you know, I can assume they're, I don't want to assume they're not, you know, as far as illnesses that you can't see, but I don't know. And I, and the children were multicultural. Yeah. I think they were definitely used as props yeah. for the state, which is And did you see the tag at the end of the credits where the girl, did you stay to the end of the I credits? I did. You know I what did. I'm talking about? Yeah. So they did this joke where the little girls would come and sit down to Colton and they would keep kind of interrupting each other. Um, it was really and awkward. It was awkward. Any sort of joke where you are insinuating like a girl is dating a grown man, like that's just, Yikes. A, that's socializing these girls Yeah. into thinking that. It wasn't cute. Also, it was really cringy. He just has no charisma. No. I think like, I don't, that is just, it's, again, like it's just an example of like the way in which like, this like the mediocrity of like yeah. whiteness is is centralized within like mass culture like yeah. the bachelor and that people of color children of color are you know set up as props in the background to yeah. facilitate engagement development dy- i don't know like dynamic action for for white leads or they're defined by their struggle or yeah. the assumption that um, that the women of color have struggled, which I'm sure they have in some ways, but that becomes a part of their identity where the other women, you know, they can just be like content creators or whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, it was also boring. Oh, Elise is boring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Elise. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I would never want to ride a roller coaster. For, I really don't like that. And then to but... stop. Oh, I also want to say, um, this cracked me up, that they get one of those pr- semi-private concerts. You know, they walk in and there's like an artist. The, I had I had my closed caption on and the first line that the artist sang was like, was said, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> and it was about like so I hate a situation you know she's singing but it just was funny to me that that popped up uh, I love it yeah um well I guess well after that then we have um Bachelor's Strongest Woman which was ah like <laughs> there's a lot going on I think that I I uh was folding when I turned around to fold my laundry for a little bit but yeah um DJ Agro Catherine was killing it she looked great I'm Sorry to see her go. I mean, yeah, but, but she uh, was yeah. uh, doing that. So, yeah, what was that about? Like, what is it just an opportunity to have to gaze upon all their bodies, to gaze upon? Yeah. Colton's body. There was definitely like an invitation from the camera mm-hmm. to objectify him. And then the women in their, um, under armor sponsored leggings and sports bras there's also looking at that that just reminded me and i'm gonna like do that thing where i'm like i don't remember the author or the title of the yeah. piece but this is really relevant yeah do you remember reading um you know like laura mulvey's um gaze piece yeah. and then what was the res- who responded to that as in that's a a white gaze and that doesn't um 
fully. I think that was Bell Hooks. Bell, yeah. Okay, Bell Hooks, two for two. I okay, think, I'm not going to quote myself on that. We will look it up and put it in the notes. Yeah, but I think there is. Yeah. I think if it is Bell Hooks, like, she writes this really great piece about, like, the gaze of, like, the black female spectator or, like, the black female audience and how, like, that gaze is, like, a spot of resistance and a site of resistance and... I don't know, just like what it's that... not bell hooks. It's somebody else, but I'll Oops. look it up. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a we'll link it. But that's a good piece if we're thinking about like multiple gazes. Yeah, yeah she was they were saying that. So Laura Mulvey uh, is saying that the camera um, takes the role of the white male or the male, assuming that a white male and gives permission to look at um, other women. But this author was saying that. Did you get? Did you get it? Yeah, I got it. It, it was, is. Um, it actually is Bell Hooks. Okay, so I take right. it back. I take it, is, it back. It's called um, the oppositional gaze. Blah blah blah. The oppositional gaze, black female spectator. So if yeah, so check that out. So too. because um, the the black woman has no other to a black woman, they're not the one being gazed upon. It, it, it Bell Hooks was saying it invites the black woman to gaze upon the other women, but not as the way that Mulvey is saying. I mean, she yeah. was she was challenging Mulvey, not in a way saying she's wrong, but sort of adding on to it because yeah. Mulvey was in the time and in the movies she was talking about were very white. Right. White bodies. Yeah, white bodies. Yeah. Um yeah, I think gaze was like central here. And also like I was interested that they centralized like Terry Cruz and Rebecca King Cruz as this example of oh a successful couple that's in love and this is interesting to see this like centralizing like this interracial couple um that like we get this tacit endorsement of multiculturalism and cultural plurality um but only when it's within like the confines of, you know, heterosexual um yeah, marriage. I thought they looked like brother and sister. Because their like outfits were similar. <laughs> no, I mean they just look like they could be related. Other than that, I'm not insinuating anything. It's just maybe if you're with somebody so long, you just you just look you just look like them, and it makes sense that they're both like if they're both into fitness and that because that you know you have to like the same things. You do, yeah. Well, you have to like being on The Bachelor and like feeling feelings and. and um... Being nervous about being on The Bachelor. What was it that Lauren said on her date with Ari? Like they were in she Paris. She said something. And she was like, "It's these are so old. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like walking on, is it the sign or the scent? I don't know. I don't know. That was I'm, one of like the 14 words she said the yeah. whole season. She, you just have to like old things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was the strongest woman. Very like independent women are in, woke women are in, like, and Onyeka won good for her um but then she didn't even get like the group date rose so i was disappointed in that yeah colton did bring her cake though and they ate cake together which i lost my mind for eating the other um (laughs) and then colton said i feed off of her like off of her energy but i was like oh my god it's not for you you were like the white vampire feeding off of um on Yeka. So that was Colton. Thank you for playing in to Bell Hooks's article. Did you read it? And before you. Are you asking me or are you asking Colton? Colton. Oh, I know okay. he's listening. <laughs> okay. Because um, it was just too perfect. But. Yeah. Thank you. We set that up and we teed it up and you just hit it out of the park. I was having, you know, that I was having a conversation with 
a mutual friend of ours and talking about this idea of the kick-ass woman or the badass woman, um, which is a word, like I cringe when I hear that because I kind of know what's coming. That usually means that the woman is physically strong and is like using her strength to beat up people or kill people. We were, I think we were talking about that um, Archangel movie, Battle Angel movie um, about this. I don't know. It's just, ugh, I don't, okay. I can't even explain it. I don't okay, even want to. So this idea that um, a woman who's seen as badass is only on male terms because physical strength mm-hmm. is uh, a male thing. And you never hear, oh, she's a badass woman because she's really good with her emotions. You know what yeah. I mean? Like she's kick ass because she's really, she really understands um, how to engage with people. So yeah. this sort of strong woman is on male terms, which is just a strong body. So right. when Colton says he likes strong women, does he just like people that can, you Weight know? lift. Yeah. Yeah. He, I don't think he knows what it means. No. You were going to, did you want to talk about Courtney? Oh yeah. I thought court, well yeah, Courtney and Demi, they're, like I think Demi stole him the pirate date to like spank him. Yeah. Which is just fine. Demi, you do you. But again, that like Demi can act in these like outrageous ways and she she is loud and she's rude and she is, you know, I don't know. She's pretty polarizing, but she's allowed to do that. And Courtney, she kind of cut in to Courtney and Courtney goes to speak with her. You know, telling her, like, you know, the way you interrupted me wasn't really, like, polite. And Courtney is literally, she is so polite. Mm -hmm. She's so soft-spoken. You know, really trying to, like, engage with Demi. And Demi, like, totally cuts her off. And so I think, like, this is, it's a, it reminded me of, like, the altercation, not, like, between Kenny and Lee. Do you remember that on racial, like, yeah. Lee he got so angry you know Kenny was doing everything like he you know and he should have been allowed to yell at Lee because Lee was being literally like horrifically racist and like rude and that men and women of color when they're in reality television spaces the bar is so much higher because if you know express themselves in a way that could be like typed as outrageous or angry then it's the Jezebel it's these stereotypes and so that conversation between Courtney and Demi really reminded me of the um that interaction between Kenny and Lee yeah well if Demi's going to be called difficult or the villain it's not going to be attributed to her race exactly yeah there um I know you probably haven't seen it but that reminds me of kind of a reality show that had a real opportunity to really sort of dig into these issues it was called Charm School you, it, I've seen the memes. It was from a it. yeah. I think I've sent you a few. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be here. Yeah, I don't want to go be home. Here. You've been here five minutes. I know <laughs> that's me at work. Um, the oh, let me lose my train of thought. Oh, so they were the the. It was a spinoff of Rock of Love, the greatest reality show of all time, <laughs> and Flavor of Love. So Rock of Love was mostly white women because it was Brett Michaels, and Flavor of Love was women of color because they were that was Flavor Flav show, and they came. So it was sort of the the quote unquote rejects from those, and then Sharon Osbourne and Monique would sort of turn them into proper ladies. So we had a real racial divide and the white women, a lot of them went home because they said they couldn't deal with the other women fighting with each other and the drama. And they were talking about the women of color and it was a real divide. And I think they had a real chance to look into it. In fact, in one of the, like the, the 
equivalent of a cocktail party. They were asked, like, is this about race? Are you uncomfortable because these are black women? And they said no. And then it was um, it was kind of shut down after that. So I think I remember being excited watching that and being like, here is your chance. You could address this. But they kind of um, and women, some white women actually left the show. That meme that I have sent you. Yeah. She is saying these women are so annoying. Wow. She's talking about um, some of the black women arguing with each other and getting mm-hmm. too emotional and getting loud. Um, you know, so that's interesting. It's still a real funny meme, though. But context. True. Anyway. Is there anything else? What, um, and you have to remind me of her name, the woman that was sent home. Mm. No, sent home like he was talking to her. Oh, Caitlin. Caitlin. That was so... Do you, you so know what? I kind of appreciate when they do that, though. When, like, he sends her home? Yeah, when when he realizes that he it's just not happening. Yeah, I think... Well, it was definitely very interesting. You know, like these shows are based off of these type of like transactional emotional encounters that you have to, you know, give up your some type of you have to represent some type of trauma in some way. I think for a lot of people to to qualify as opening up. And, you know, she said, oh, I've had like a good life. Like, I don't have anything that I want to tell you. And I thought that was really interesting. That's somebody I'd want to date. Yeah. I mean, not that against trauma, but I'd be like, great, you're, you know, like you, you're strong and, and not that trauma makes somebody bad, but it's, yeah, that's about authenticity. Normal sort of boundaries, I guess you could say for like, maybe like a second date really. Like she was like, technically, you know, she's like, has she ever like, and I think that was the first time, like they had like a, a one-on-one conversation with each other and then he yeah he just sent her home I do I mean it's awkward and I think they do it to watch the awkwardness but I actually appreciate like the it kind of takes away from that heteronormativity of like competition and the and just you know that love is not something you you know if it's not there it's not there and and it's just not going to work and just because he's a great guy that they want you know that it is you do have agency to pick it or not. And I wish more women would leave because they're not into The Bachelor. Yeah. I think that fun. has happened, but. I remember one, like, during Juan Pablo season. I forget her name, but she was, like, an opera singer. Yeah. And she was, like, he's literally dumb. Like, I'm so much smarter than him. Like, I'm just attracted to him. I don't know why I'm here. And she's just, like, she's, like, the final five, and she just left. She was great. Great. Thing. Okay, so I guess. Oh, I guess we have to talk about this beauty queen. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we don't have to, well, but. Well, yeah, this is moving from critical race theory yeah. examples to just examples examples of everything well i think it feeds into this critical race conversation about authenticity and Mm -hmm. which one of these girls is being authentic and you know women are competing for each other and women are always in competition yeah um kaylin and hannah so like super feud because hannah initially like went up to colton on their post pirate date was as one does on a post pirate date that was literally the most awkward like interpersonal encounter i've seen in my entire life and i i feel bad for hannah and you've seen me in class like uh, (laughs) i just don't understand like she made colton like guess five different adjectives of what kaylin is it was just so cringeworthy and has she seen the show? Because anytime you go up to The Bachelor and complain about somebody else, you, you better are be off. smart. And, you know, that is it's strategy, but that's also sucky because then The Bachelor's like, oh, this person's difficult. Yeah. Well, I was just 
I don't know. That w- it was just so awkward. I was just surprised by her lack of finesse in all of her encounters with Colton. Because um, she's like, she was Miss Alabama. Like, she, yeah. isn't she supposed to be? I don't know. Because that's all about presentation and managing a cult of authenticity, you know, to win an award. So I was surprised that that all seemed to kind of like fall away in her interactions, that she wasn't able to manage her her representation or or her brand as a carefree young fun like girl next door and she just kind of fell apart but i think when the pageant they have time to prepare and craft a persona this was a little bit on the fly yeah like she couldn't go back and she can't be you know she couldn't say like hold on let me go think about this and i'll prepare (laughs) right something later and then I think he approached Kaylin and she had a more polished response, I would say. So I don't I I feel like I don't I think I'm kind of rooting for Kaylin. Sorry, Hannah. Um, I'm rooting for neither. Yeah. I mean, I don't think either of them are going to win in the end. But I just Hannah, I want you to manage your I want you to manipulate better like <laughs> Kaylin does. Um, this. Oh, also. Who is the the never been kissed girl? Heather. Heather. Um, she is she's smarter than she looks, or she's being very cleverly produced because every time Hannah went to like complain to Colton about Kaylin or something, she was like, "No, you should really talk to him." And I was oh like, yeah, she's I was like, like, "Ooh, Heather, or yeah. like, who's producing you? Or are you doing this by yourself?" Is she a mole? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So that was. That was good. I mean, I can appreciate someone who trolls somebody like that. You Definitely. know what I mean? Like if they're, I can't, you know, this podcast doesn't officially endorse manipulation. No. But I can appreciate it as a skill. Right. Especially on this show. Like it's yeah. on this show. <sighs> That's um, my feeling. Here's why the, this whole feud thing annoys me. I think actually I'm getting, I mean, I'm going to watch it till I die. But like, I think I'm really getting bachelor fatigue. Like I just, yeah. I never bought it. But now I can't even engage in buying it, like pretending I'm buying it like I'm supposed to. Yeah. And it just, I mean, is this really a feud or is it something that they are building up for the cameras? And I think it, not that women can't be critical of each other. And I don't believe in just straight up like, always, so women should always support each other because you can't make that blanket statement. Like women should be criticized because they can handle it. They're not gentle right. creatures but it's still not a good look to make this beauty pageant cat fight thing happen and i don't know maybe what do you what do you think actually do you have a theory about like what actually happened i think that hannah's perhaps just salty that kaylin won but that maybe they were both kind of like mean to each other because if i was sharing a hotel room with someone that i was competing against for like the keynote speakership of a conference sparks would fly (laughs) let's have a pageant to see who can be a keynote speaker yeah I mean I can imagine like I don't know there's inter I feel like I've said the word interpersonal so much today I can imagine there's interpersonal conflict between them I've said quote-unquote about a billion times but I don't know I I'm amused by it because I think that Hannah doesn't seem to be doing so well in this conflict um compared to Tracy and Demi seem to be, I don't know, trading jabs pretty equally. But Hannah seems like she's falling apart. So I love she's deconstructing before our eyes. Do you think she's read? Derrida? Yeah. Yeah. Call us. Write us. Let us know. Yeah. 
Um, and then my final thought of this episode was that what happened to everyone's eyebrows? Because I really don't think that anyone has, has real a good eyebrows. Look. What happened though? I don't know. I just I love eyebrows, and I don't think that anyone's look really good. So I'm kind of as in they're not plucking them well or they're not drawing them on well because I'm not I don't they're you, I don't like, know eyebrows they're like blocking in like the parts that shouldn't be blocked in like they they don't look like I'm feeling my eyebrows like, right now because I'm all self conscious <laughs> they don't look like no makeup makeup I don't know I've just seen some like great eyebrows on The Bachelor and none of these are good like I doesn't ever have an Instagram I'm just disappointed by them um, 2019 is not the year of the eyebrow yeah, but. Those are my, those are my last thoughts. Um, oh, what would um, a pageant, an academic pageant, look like? Uh, because it's kind of similar, right? Like you have to look a certain way. Yeah. Especially if you're a woman. Yeah. You I have f- to speak well, like give your presentation. Yeah. You have to, um, but like I guess when you're answering the questions on stage, like you wouldn't be interrupted with someone going, "I have more of a comment than a question." <laughs> Like, you would be allowed to, like, say your answer, maybe. What would the swimsuit portion be? (laughs) It would be... Methods. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be methods or it'd be your, like, citation style. Oh, (laughs) I like that. Oh, no, that's the talent portion. Like, they throw a bunch of books and stuff at you. They're like, put this in Chicago They're like, oh, my God, this is, like, a tweet, but it's, like, retweeted, but it's from, like... Crimea and like <laughs> what is the country of origin it's a contested space my talent what would your ta- mine would be an annotated bibliography nice what would yours be um mine would be abstract writing yeah because good I can call. make anything good call. seem like it's a paper when it doesn't exist that's good so. that's good wow we have our we have our um yeah. We both the the final category would be Zotero organizing. Definitely, that'd be we would be the Kaylin and Hannah. Yeah, of that definitely constantly fine. Although you might win, I'll give that to you. I don't know. I I love Zotero so much. Ugh. Do you love it more than these girls love Colton? These <laughs> women love Colton. Definitely, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Um. What? Here's my favorite segment: things you hear in <laughs> seminar and on The Bachelor. You go first. Um, this is Hannah again. She said, "I'm like befumbled," and I feel like I've said that in class. Maybe when we're talking about Zizok. Um, what was yours? <laughs> Mine was. I have two. Oh, nice. I won. Uh, it's hard to see someone get what you really want. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a crying woman talking about how she didn't get the date card, the the solo date card. Heather, yeah. or whatever the Cassie speech pathologist. Cassie, yeah. Um, and it was weird. Like, was she crying because she think Colton didn't pick her because it's a producer's choice? I know. Or is she crying because she just she wanted something and she couldn't get, and that's never happened to her. Also. Again, have any of these people watched the show before they have been on it? Um, probably not. I don't know. It yeah. does seem like they, they have are no self consciousness or consciousness of their reality. Oh, I have another one. I yeah. don't know who said this. What? You second guess yourself a lot with that. You second guess yourself a lot with a lot that's going on. <laughs> true. I may have said that in class. True. True. It. True. And um, oh, a couple other things I want to say. Were they having a date in a furniture store? It was an antique shop. So it was like... Oh. It was like fun. Okay. That was weird. Okay. Especially when... Ooh, oof, oof, oof moment of the week was when Hannah and Colton 
got up after they were talking, they were holding hands, and they both walked in, like, different directions. Ooh, I thought it was when, um, what's her, like, Caitlin was like, he's like, can I walk you out? And she was like, I don't think I want to hold your hand, Colton. I was like, ah, like, this is so awkward. <laughs> oh, and then, and then the girls watch, sorry, the women watching were, were like, oh, she's walking two feet in front of him. It's bad. It's yeah, bad. That was not good. Do you think she's, maybe they'll send her to paradise? Um, we'll see. Oh, um, I also had like, I'm a former lifeguard. And so when I was watching Don't the brag. pool party, I was like, are the, like, I hope these aren't glass because people are like jumping in with their champagne flutes and stuff and like someone could get hurt. I have a, a real problem and I know they didn't do this. I just want to mention it. People going in pools with clothes on. Mm, it's yeah. so gross to me. I, <laughs> I, as a former lifeguard, I also <laughs> don't approve of that. You're supposed yeah. to be in swim appropriate wear. They did that on the first episode of the Lindsay Lohan's Beach House and Ooh. I was shook Uh-oh. among other things. Um, we do have one question. Oh, my gosh. From Britta again. Our, Where's Britta from? Britta this... is um, from Seattle. Okay. <laughs> oh, she's still from Seattle. Okay. Yep. Um, she wants us to talk about ageism. She says, what's up with the ageism on The Bachelor? And she also says, love you. Keep yep. doing you. Yeah. Fan forever. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, what do you think about I mean, because Demi, again, was like you know dragging older women what are your thoughts on ageism in this why are well, women my, so young now well my my thought on it is that it's bullshit mm. and is it again is it the bachelor espousing ageism or are they making that part of demi's villainy right. and does it really matter the intentions if it's still coming off as ageism yeah I think it's interesting, too, that, like, last season with Ari, like, the little Becca or, like, the baby Becca, that was such a... having a a baby. Yeah, she is. Congratulations. Um, That was such, like, an issue with her relationship with Ari that, like, other women were like, she's, like, 23. Could she possibly be ready? Like, she's not here for the right reasons, blah, blah, blah. Like, Tia was, like, stirring things up about this. And now... Tia. Yeah, not good. (laughs) But, like... Now, like, almost, like, half of the cast is 23 years old. I think Becca, like... She tweeted about it. She tweeted about it. She was like, yeah, "Yeah, like, no one's asking about, like, are they ready? And no one is asking are they ready. Like, literally, like, half the cast are, like, they're 23 years old. And, like, yes, Colton is younger than Ari, but still, like... I mean, I was 23 recently, I guess, but I don't feel... Months. (laughs) I don't feel ready to, like, get married, necessarily. Or, I don't know, I think... There's perhaps a lot of personal growth that goes between marriage and being 23. And just obviously, like, the cast has, like, skewed younger over time, especially the women. I'm going to make a generalization. Yeah. Don't get married at 23. Yeah. It's, I mean, again, it's a generalization if you're ready. It just... It just is like, no, you don't know yourself at 23. Like, I actually think um, 30 is a good age. Again, I'm generalizing. I'm talking about, like, peers. But, like, there is a point where you lock it in and you're like, this is who I am. I'm probably not going to change unless there's things I should change. And for, like, a lot of people, that doesn't happen in their 20s. And, again, Mm -hmm. as I'm sitting here, you, like, you are a mature, majestic angel of a person. That's true. And I can't believe, I can't believe that. Um, we have an angel walking among us on earth. <laughs> that is you. But you are, you're an exception. And I think that it's just, and I think that that would actually make it more interesting if people were older because they would Definitely. know what they would want. Yeah. 
And it's actually more interesting to see people know what they want and go for it. Although a lot of, I think that a lot of, if the women were older, a lot of them would probably be like, you know what? I'm not into this. Yeah, I'm, I'm going not home. doing this. Yeah. So there is a reason. I mean, there's the whole reason of, of ageism, of, of the stigma of an older woman mm-hmm. and a younger man. Um, yeah. Well, and it's interesting that like that was something like Elise brought up on her date talking about like, oh, you know, Colton's younger than I am. Like, I think she was I think she's like 30 maybe. or like, Oh, my God. You know, and like, you know, is he ready Cover for this? up. We can't see a 30 year old woman's <laughs> body on TV. Gross. But like, yeah, she was like, oh, but, you know, after seeing him with these kids, I know he's like ready to be a father. And it's what? Like, OK, well, that's <laughs> he, he served ice cream to one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, very different. Um than like actually parenting but that I mean that's interesting though and I'm forecasting I don't think that Elise is probably going to be the person that Colton picks I think that it's probably going to be that tiny you remind me of home girl who um what's her name didn't get a date it's is it one of the hands yeah she was like kind of crying and he was like oh but like you know I'm so into you you know I think it's probably going to be someone like that and like we have seen like with Ari season two you know, even when you profess that you want a quote unquote like strong independent woman, that is not always like that's not necessarily like, the mate that you pick. Yeah. Um also, um, Demi has cute glasses. Oh yeah. I am in the market for new glasses and I took note of them. She is always so her illuminator is so beautiful. So if she's listening, um Demi her illuminator? Yeah, her like illu- her like illuminator like makeup. Oh, okay. I don't know if it's the lights, but like if it's her makeup, like I would like her to write in and tell me what brand she uses. Um, I'm sure it's on her Instagram. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't know. I think that the ageism is it like is a reflection of like our larger culture and like cultural norms around like um, heteronormative relationships between men and women. And I think that The Bachelor throws into sharper relief often. And I think that it's probably going to be a feature here to stay. Although I, I don't think that it will keep trending downward because you can't have, well, they try yeah, the those credits. Yeah. I think that they're going to have bachelor junior. <laughs> well, to be on the show, I think like you have to drink, you have to be allowed to oh, drink. Yeah, they would so never let 21 is like drink. the hard rule, but I think yeah. the casting calls might say 24. I think it's 22. I think okay, you have to be 22. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, we should go to a casting call just for the lulls. I almost I mean, they went would, once. They yeah. would, they would chase me out of there with, with guard dogs <laughs> if I yeah. tried, but yeah. you could, we could, um, we could rip out your eyebrows and make <laughs> I it could work. be a mole. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I think we'll have to see what happens. It. I'm interested to see the season of The Bachelorette, um, the next Ooh, one. Who do you think it's going to be? I have no idea at this oh, point. Do you think it'll be Hannah? Pageant Hannah? No, I think it, Cassie's a little young, but I feel like they like someone like her. Yeah. Like they like she's like very non-threatening. Yeah. I think you have to be like a little older though. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. But um. No, no other questions from listeners? No. Okay. Well. You can always write in. Uh, yeah. Our email address is bachelorcriticaltheory at gmail.com. Awesome. And next week, I kind of forget what we're talking about. It is not. I don't think it's post We'll figure it out. We'll find it. Um, but thank you for You'll, listening. By the time you listen to this, you know what it is. <laughs> oh, and also, um, can I steal you for a sec.tumblr.com is where all the show notes are and yep. links to stuff. So. Cool. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.